Today we turn to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, a very well-known passage about uh, David. I'm probably not going to say anything today or not too many things that you don't already know, but I think that it's good to talk about how God provides leadership for his church, especially when your pastor just announced his retirement a week ago uh, to uh, stop uh, being your pastor at the end of this calendar year. Uh, so uh, we turn to this story about how David, I mean how God provides a king uh, for Israel. And I'll read these words for us. 1 Samuel 16 verses 1 through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up. And went to Ramah. When I resigned from my last pastorate, the Peachtree Corners Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church in Greater Atlanta, many in the congregation were having a hard time understanding why God would call me away from that church at that particular time just some 18 months after we had relocated as a congregation and everything, I mean everything, was going so well. With rapid growth 
families visiting, you know, every Sunday, lots of families. Children were everywhere, giving was up, and we were growing at an unheard of rate for most ARP churches, 20%. Just to put that into perspective, that means if this church should be growing 20% in a year, you'd have 100 new members. All right? So a lot was happening. So they were having a hard time with that. If you don't believe me, you can ask Jeff and Beth Dyers because they were part of that congregation at that time. So I put together a 30-minute presentation explaining how God had called me away from the Peachtree Corners Church and to the First Rock Hill Church. And in the midst of that presentation, I tried to help them understand that obviously God thought uh, that they needed new leadership. I had been there to help lead them through that challenging time of transition, but since we were on the other side of the relocation, that God wanted to have them to have a different pastor. And of course, I talked about the prayer aspect of it a lot and how God had confirmed over and over again uh, through prayer that this was His will uh, for me and my family. And after that section, this is how I concluded my remarks to the Peachtree Corners Church. Perhaps you've heard one of the interesting things that happened on the Sunday of my resignation. My son Jamie was on the Peachtree Corners website uh, that morning. And you have to understand that our website at that time, I don't know if they still do this, but it would play a random hymn. So when you went on the website, you never knew what the hymn was going to be. And uh, so guess what the hymn was that week? Gladly we will go. Do you know that one, Orlando? I didn't know it either. <laughs> but, but it says in that hymn, wherever Jesus calls us, we will gladly, gladly go. Now the same Sunday that I resigned, one other thing happened. My wife, Sarah, had been reading her devotional book, and on the day I resigned, the same day that you voted for me as your pastor, the devotional was entitled, No Fears at All. And the scripture verse was Isaiah 41, 13, which says, I am the Lord your God who holds your right hand, and I tell you, don't be afraid. I will help you. And I told them, I take great comfort in that verse. And you can too. You see, at that point in time, all they could envision was an empty pulpit. They were grieving. What, what would happen to their momentum? What would they do? I had to get them to understand that God provides for his people. He provides our daily bread as Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer. He provides what we need in our work, in our education, in our lives. And he provides leadership for his people. In fact, they were going through much the same emotional roller coaster as you are right now. And it's the same emotional roller coaster that Samuel 
is enduring in this passage before us. And this is true because in the previous chapter, God has rejected Saul as king over Israel because of his disobedience. Thus, Samuel is grieving as we just read at the beginning of our text. But Samuel worships the same God that we worship. He's the great provider as we can see in this text before us today. The time for grieving is over. God says to Samuel, I will send you to Jesse for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. So we see that God is ready to provide the leader that his people need. And this is just one of the many places in Scripture where we see God described as the great provider. Think about Genesis 22 where we can read uh, that same word in the Hebrew and are told that God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering. You may remember that's what Abraham tells his son Isaac when Isaac sees the wood and he sees the fire for a burnt offering but he doesn't see an animal to sacrifice and of course Abraham thought he was going to sacrifice his own son Isaac but God provided just what was needed the interesting thing about this word provide in Hebrew is that it's typically translated as to see. And by typically, I mean more than 750 times in the Old Testament. But just a few times, it's translated as provide. In his church dogmatics, Karl Barth helps us to understand this when he ties this word to the Latin version, which is pro-video. Okay, that's where we get our word provide from. And we know what video means. It's something you can see. And in Latin, that term means to see to or to see about. You see, you never knew Latin was a southern language, did you? Because in the south, we talk about, I'm going to see about daddy. Or I'm going to see about this. Or I'm going to see about that, which means we're going to take care of it. God is telling Samuel that he will see about a king for Israel. He will take care of it. And from this, you can understand how the doctrine of providence comes from this term. Providence, the doctrine of God's full provision through his sovereignty of what is needed for his people. We believe in God's providence in all sorts of areas, but certainly so in the life of the church. God provides what his church needs. He provides elders and deacons and women's ministries board members. He provides pastors and teachers. He provides nursery workers. He provides DCEs and youth workers and all kinds of leadership. And we can see that in this text. And as God makes this provision for his people Israel, notice his basis for choosing a new king. 
we can see this criteria unfold in verses 6 and 7 because as Jesse and his sons come before Samuel, he sees the oldest son and thinks, oh, this must be him. You know, he looks kingly. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. And God said, I look on the heart. Right there in verse 7. You know, God gives a perfect description of you and me. Because we look on the outward appearance. You know, I don't know who your next pastor is going to be, but God does. And if he comes in here and he doesn't look like what you think he ought to look like, you need to remember this text. You know, we constantly think of the externals. Because this is what our society is all about. We grow up in it. It's how we're trained, even if we don't realize that or not. And this is why the fashion industry is booming. It's why cosmetics, you know, sell millions and millions and millions of dollars a year. The exercise and nutrition industries, it's all about how we look because that's how we're judged. You know, God teaches me this lesson every now and then because uh, I'll meet some young couple. Now, that doesn't happen as much as it used to, but I'll meet some young couple who want to get married. You know, they just stopped by the church. I don't know how they found me, but they did, you know. And uh, they just want, you know, to get married, and they want a preacher to do it. And I must confess that sometimes I enter into those responsibilities without the zeal that I should have. Because in my mind, it's just some other non-member couple in other words, I'm judging the book by the cover. But in my last congregation, as well as this congregation, some of those people have become really great members. They begin to visit, they join, they worship, they learn, they lead. And they become a vital part of our fellowship. And friends, I would not want to do without. Surely you can see the point. We cannot discount anyone that walks through these doors on a Sunday morning. That's what Jesse does with his own son David. He's not even important enough to bring him to this sacrifice. In fact, David is so unimportant in his mind, he leaves him with the sheep. You see how David is so unassuming when we meet him in this text. He's too young, too inexperienced, too naive, too menial to have anything to offer. That's the way he's portrayed because that's the way it was. People judged by the outward appearance. You see how David points us toward Jesus? Because they did the same thing to Jesus. You know, he didn't look like the Messiah, like they thought the Messiah would look like. 
Think about what Isaiah 53 says. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. This Messiah that God had promised his people for thousands of years was overlooked because he didn't look like and sound like people thought he would. This is still true for you and me. This is why we might entertain angels unaware because our method of judging is flawed because our vision is not 2020 spiritually speaking. And this means since we are not God, we cannot know who will answer his call and who will be faithful in the service of his kingdom. As one commentator put it, this means at least two things. One is, we should be cautious about judging other people and their potential effectiveness in God's service. Have you ever done that? You saw somebody growing up in the church and you said to yourself, they'll never amount to anything. And the next thing you knew, they're doing all kinds of things for God's kingdom. And he says, secondly, we should not question our own abilities and gifts for service. I mean, think about it. We often feel that we don't have, you know, other people have all these gifts, but I don't have much to offer God and his kingdom. But that would be a superficial evaluation based only upon our own limited perspective when we think like that. If God calls us into his church, uh, the New Testament books of Romans, 1 Corinthians, and Ephesians all teach us that God also gifts us. He empowers us to do what he's called us to do. In fact, that's the story of scripture repeatedly. Abraham discovered that truth, as did Moses, Joshua, Gideon, Samson, Samuel, Elijah and Elisha, David, Solomon, James and John, Peter and Paul and on and on we could go among that roll call of faith and how God empowered them to do his will for his kingdom. And we see the same thing here in this text with David. Now right at the end of our passage, as John mentioned with the children, we read that Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. The use of oil is symbolic of the Spirit of God and represents God's help, an enduring power of a supernatural nature. You know, if you take the time to do a study of passages in the Old Testament where we see the Spirit of God mentioned, you can basically classify them into two groups. Those who speak of the Spirit of God coming suddenly and intermittently upon people and those which speak of the Spirit of God abiding or resting permanently upon people. We can see clearly that David is in the latter group while Saul was in the former. 
this speaks to God's choice in this man, this young David, who is a man after God's own heart. God has called him to this task, and we can see right here at the end of this passage that God is already empowering him, this very young man, through his spirit to do the task that he's calling him to do. But this is not just about what David can do because of God's power, but it's also about the relationship that God is establishing with David as his anointed. You know, the use of oil in business contracts in the ancient world in family law and international diplomacy in the ancient world demonstrates a contractual or we would say a covenantal significance for its use in the anointing of kings. This means that as we read this text where God specifically directs his prophet Samuel to anoint Jesse's son, God is obligating himself to David and establishing a relationship with him that will eventually find a verbal expression in what we refer to as the Davidic covenant. A covenant that God makes with David in 2 Samuel 7 where he tells him he will establish an everlasting dynasty through him. As we read this text we can see that it's no coincidence that the New Testament talks about the anointing of the Holy Spirit, which empowers us as God's people, but also speaks to the relationship which He establishes with us and the promises He makes about the Spirit's power and presence at work in our lives and the covenant we have with Him through His Son, the Lord Jesus. We remember the words of Jesus to his own disciples that we can read in Acts 1 when he said, wait for the gift that my father promised for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and all the way to the ends of the earth through this relationship where he adopts us as his own children God doesn't leave us to flounder along he gives us not only forgiveness through Jesus work on the cross for our sins but also offers us his power for daily living his gift of the Spirit not only regenerates us but sanctifies us so that we actually experience this risen Christ to whom we witness he emboldens us he encourages us he speaks to us and guides us and calls us to his work and gives us the power to accomplish it we see in this example of David, all that we have as well. As God's power comes upon us to never leave us. 
because we have that promise from Jesus himself. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the close of the age. Do you know this power? Do you see this power at work in your life? Do you ask for it? Do you pray for it daily? May that be our prayer today and always to his glory and honor. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together.